Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode one of the Shreddy's Take podcast. I'm your host, Alex, aka Shreddy. And this is going to be a podcast related to a bunch of things, movies and filmmaking wise. On this episode, I'll be talking about how much money I made with my no budget feature film cashing out. I'll do a breakdown of all the avenues I took to generate revenue, as well as how you can do the same thing with your own projects. I'll also be talking about stuff I've been watching and shout out local films in my area of Northwest Indiana. This show does not have an official sponsor, but if you want to support the show or my channel, you can do so by purchasing my feature film, Cashing Out, which is available now on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital, as well as merchandise related to the film, courses I've created, and more, which you can find at www.awsfilms.com or www.cashingoutfilm.com. Right now, I'm actually doing a holiday sale till the end of the year, so now is the best time to buy the film or anything related towards it. So, to kick things off, who am I? Well, like I said, my name is Alex. I'm a filmmaker from the Chicagoland area. I have been making films for about 10 years now. It's been a little bit more than that. I've been making videos and stuff like that since I was 12. I'm actually 30 now. So I've been doing this sort of work, you know, for about almost 20 years now, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I have made a bunch of short films. Um, I, I took film more seriously in 2010. So I've been making a lot of short films. I've worked on other people's independent feature films and that sort of thing, you know, since 2010. And in 2017, I decided that I needed to make my own film. So I wrote and directed a feature film, crime drama, called Cashing Out. And yeah, I mean, pretty much the rest is history now. Trying to make my second feature film, uh, Let Me Go, which we'll talk a little bit more later about that. Um, But yeah, I've just worked on a lot of film projects over the years. And right now I'm actually trying to make it as a freelance video editor. Um, It's just something that I really enjoy doing and I'm trying to make a career out of it. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't like to gloat about awards or anything like that, but to kind of you know, validates my skills as a filmmaker. Cashing Out has won multiple awards, including the top prize in the first feature film category at the 2020 World Fest Houston International Film Festival in Houston, Texas. It won the Special Jury Remy Award, which is the top prize in that category, which is pretty awesome. I've also won the top prize at the Hoosier Annual Film Festival, uh, which was Best Feature, which was pretty awesome. And then I've also won, well, the film itself has also won other awards and had other award nominations, as well as been official selections at multiple film festivals around the country. So, you know, hopefully that gives you a little introduction about myself. Um, I'm also... I'm very passionate about movies. So, I mean, we can just, you know, get that out of the way. I decided to start a podcast about this stuff. So obviously I have some sort of passion towards this thing. So I want to kind of nerd out and just talk about things that I've been watching. You know, I watch a lot of movies and TV shows. So, you know, what better way to kind of talk about that than just to talk about it. So recently I've been watching I've been watching a lot of sitcoms since the pandemic started back in March I watched five so it started with actually I think it was more than that now I'll count here in a second but I started with Drake and Josh it was a show that I really loved as a kid so I'm like you know what now's the time to revisit that so I decided to re-watch it and I loved it it was a lot of fun there's some kind of creepier elements towards it with some behind the scenes stuff. But overall, as a show, it's just very fun. I really like the chemistry between Josh Peck and Drake Bell. So definitely highly recommended. Uh, I watched Entourage again. 
um, which, you know, I don't know if that's really a good show, but it's one that I have a lot of fun watching. Again, it's another show that definitely has a lot of problems with it, but it's, it's just an overall fun watch for me. So I like to revisit it from time to time. Uh, rewatch Parks and Rec, one of my all time favorite shows. I rewatched New Girl. And then I rewatched the show, or I watched the show that I swore that I would never watch. And I kind of just have fallen in love with it since. And that's The Office. Now, I know a lot of people love The Office, but it took me four times to get through the first season. I couldn't get through the first episode. I, I actually watched on premiere night the very first episode when it initially aired. Didn't really like it. Didn't continue watching it. Decided to try it again a couple of years later. Couldn't get past the first episode. Just felt it was too cringy. Again, tried it again. Watched a couple of episodes. I think I watched maybe two or three. Couldn't get through it again. And then, you know what? This time, I'm like, I've been blowing through all these sitcoms. I don't think... There's any reason why I can't watch this show now. So I might as well just give it a shot, even if it's just kind of background noise while I'm working or something like that. Let's just go ahead, watch it and give it a try. So I did. I watched it recently, like a month or two ago. I started it and I, I loved it. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't love all of it, but the way that the series progressed throughout its nine seasons, as well as the last 15 minutes of the show overall, I just felt that it just paid off really great. And I can see why people obsess about it so much. So I just, you know, wanted to mention that and I'm actually rewatching it again. I watched it by myself the first time and my girlfriend, she would watch episodes with me from time to time. She hadn't watched the show either. So I wanted to, she wanted to watch it. So I decided to rewatch it with her because, you know, why not? I like the show, so I might as well give it another watch. So I've been doing that recently. Um, I've been watching Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm doing that one very slowly. Uh, my girlfriend has been begging me to watch that. That's one of her all-time favorite shows. So, you know, she's been begging me for years to watch it with her, but... It's not the fantasy genre is not something I'm super into, so it's a little hard for me to want to watch something like that willingly. So I'm like, okay, as long as we can rewatch this, or as long as we can watch this slowly, I will watch it with you. Only about six episodes in. I'm not really sucked in yet. You know, it's been about three or four weeks since I started watching it. So it's not something that's become an addiction yet. We'll see how things go. And then I have been rewatching, you know, I, I just said I wasn't a huge fan of the fantasy series. And then now I'm rewatching all the Harry Potter movies. Um, this one's a little random just because, you know, my girlfriend and I just needed something to watch. We were going to start watching like she's always like joking with me, like, you know, let's just watch Harry Potter. And I'm just like, nah, you know, when we're looking for things to watch, and I'm just like, no, let's try to watch something new. You know, like I, I don't want to keep. Like, I do love rewatching movies, but, you know, I haven't been watching a lot of new stuff, especially since, you know, the initial quarantine happened. So I'm like, I, I need to try to start watching new stuff. But, you know, we started watching another movie. She wasn't really into it. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just watch Harry Potter. And then that turned into watching multiple of them. I've gotten through five of them so far. I'm about two hours into the sixth movie. And, you know, we're going to see, see how it goes. It's been, I haven't watched this series since 2011 when the last movie came out, like the very last movie. So my, my relationship with the Harry Potter series has been kind of all over the place throughout my childhood and adulthood. So when the books initially came out, I heard about them and, you know, they were a huge deal back then. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's see what this is about. And I, I wasn't a huge reader, but I was really into magic when I was a kid, like performing magic tricks and things like that. So, of course, I was going to like something related to that. So I think I actually the very first book that I picked up, because when I, we'd go to the grocery store a lot, with my, me and my brothers would go to the grocery store a lot with my mom on Sundays, you know, just 
We didn't have a babysitter or anything like that, so she would drag us to the stores. So I think the very first book that I actually picked up was The Chamber of Secrets. So I got that, and you know, I thought it was really cool. Then I eventually I ended up getting the first book. I don't remember how. I think I just started reading the second book just because I was so eager to just kind of get into it. And then eventually I ended up getting the the other books. Um, it was only it was the first four, but you know, I was pretty obsessed with it. I'd only read, I think the first three, um, Goblet of Fire I had, but I just, I think I had that one in fifth grade and like reading is just, it's a very difficult, like people who are close to me probably know this, but like reading is very, very difficult for me just because like, I'm, I'm very like fast thinker. Like there's always a lot of things going on in my head all at once. And just like staring at a bunch of words on paper just can be a little difficult for my mind at times. So it's really hard for me to concentrate and focus, you know, just on reading books. Um, it's something I've always had trouble with ever since I was a kid. I don't know if it's just like an ADD thing or what, but I have a lot of difficulties, you know, like just sitting down and reading and that, you know, happened when I was a kid too. It happened to me in school, like reading books. Like, I, I don't know how I did so well in school because I was like a straight A student at one point because I never read. If I did read, it was not very often. I just, I guess I was just good enough at school to where I was able to pretty much just work around that without any real problems. But I digress. So like I said, going back a little bit, loved Harry Potter. Um, I was actually, I think the like I said, the first book I got was The Chamber of Secrets, but that year that I really got into it, I decided to be Harry Potter for Halloween. And there, I remember we I got to dress up for school and there was only one other Harry Potter. So, you know, I wasn't the only one, but, you know, I was definitely a super nerd. And, uh, you know, I it started to dwindle a little bit. Like I was into like a lot of like nerdy things when I was a kid. But I also grew up in the skateboard community um, from ages nine until, you know, now, I guess. And it was kind of frowned upon to be into nerdy things. And I just didn't really think girls like nerdy things. So like it, it, my interest in like Star Wars, I was really into Star Wars when I was a kid and all that started to dwindle a lot when I was when I started getting into my early teens just because I wanted girls to like me. And I wanted to, you know, have all these skateboarding friends and they just weren't super into those things. Uh, at least none of my friends that I was growing up with were into those things. So therefore, you know, my interests kind of, like I said, they, it dwindled down a lot when I was in my um, early teenage years. So, but regardless, going back a little bit, um, the first movie came out. And, you know, my parents surprised me by taking me to, to see it. This is when I was still really, really into it. So we went to the movie theater. We saw it. That's the day I fell in love with Emma Watson. And, uh, you know, the rest is history with that. As you get to know me, you'll find out that I have a huge, healthy, I promise it's a healthy obsession with Emma Watson. But, you know, regardless, um, watched the movie, absolutely loved it. You know, got it as soon as it came out on DVD. But after that, I didn't see any of the other movies in theaters. I maybe watched The Chamber of Secrets once on DVD, but like I just didn't really remember it. So, you know, years passed. You know, my girlfriend was really into Harry Potter and the last movie was coming out in 2011. I'm like, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's let's get back into it and just go from there. So I think in, it was either two days or three days I watched the first seven movies back to back and then immediately went and saw the last movie, Deathly Hollows Part 2 in IMAX. So, you know, I just flew through, you know, seven movie or eight movies within a three day period. And I hadn't watched them since, you know, since 2011. So a lot of the details for, were very murky for me. And I had not read the books since I was a kid. And something I want to mention too, like, I just want to get this out there because I, I posted a running list of 
of my like favorites of which ones I think were best to least best, I guess. None of them are bad, but just, you know, the ones I think that are top tier compared to the other ones in the series. And I got a lot of hate for how I listed it because, you know, most of the people who are into the Harry Potter movies were also into the books. And, you know, I get into a lot of arguments with people about how books are better than the movie versions. And I think that's just a really poor argument. That's just my opinion. Of course, the books are probably going to be better than the movies because books can do things that movies can't. You know, movies can't be 80 hours long. They can be. That would appease some fans. But theatrically, it's very difficult to get kids to sit through an already two and a half hour long movie because, you know, these movies are mainly directed towards kids. So you can't, you know, go too far. I understand that. And there's some things that just don't translate well from books to movies and all that. So I understand why things are cut out from the books compared to the movies. So that's why I don't think that whole argument is very valid. They're two separate forms of media. I treat them completely differently. I don't like to compare books to movies. I only judge things the way that they are presented to me. And that's how it is. So rewatching these movies, I have found that I've liked so far rewatching them that I like the order of the Phoenix the best. I think just as far as the movie goes, it's the best visually. It has the best, it, it adds the most to the whole plot line. It has the most tension, has the best character moments for, at least for me so far. Like I just, overall, I really have enjoyed that movie compared to the other ones. And then I think I put the Sorcerer's Stone next just because or the Philosopher's Stone, depending if you're in the U.S. or the U.K. Um, I'm going to refer to it as the Philosopher's Stone because it is that was what it was originally called. And I'm not going to be some United States nerd. I like to think of things how they were originally intended by the artist. So it is going to be the Philosopher's Stone. But regardless, um, I, did, I put the Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, or no, sorry, Order of the Phoenix, the last 20 minutes of the Goblet of Fire, because I think that's the only 20 minutes that matter in that movie. Um, Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Order of the Phoenix, or um, Prisoner of Azkaban, and then the first two hours of Goblet of Fire. I didn't really care for Goblet of Fire too much. I think that movie was just, I feel like I'm going to guess the book too. I just feel like it was a bunch of filler that really didn't add anything to the series. That's just my hot take. You know, believe what you want. That's fine. Regardless, um, I got a lot of hate for my opinion on Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't dislike the movie. I just think compared to all the other movies, as far as consistency with tone and, you know, the, the character moments and all that, I just felt like it was just kind of really left in a movie that was going right. You know, that's fine. Maybe eventually I will come to love it, but I just don't feel like it fits super well within the rest of the series. That's just my take on it. I still love Alfonso Cuaron. You know, he's a brilliant director and I have nothing against him. But it's just looking at the movies and how they've been presented to me so far, I got to say The Order of the Phoenix is just, it blew me away. Like that movie, like I have a tendency, like when I'm watching movies at home, to, you know, like look at my phone or just be thinking about something else. I was zoned in for all the whole runtime of that movie. I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. I don't understand why I was, you know, did so poorly with critics and, you know, just the audience in general, but I I'm just, just looking at all the elements coming together. I can just see, it just felt like everything that was, that's great about this series so far happened in this movie and I know it's just going to keep progressing from here. I remember back when I watched all eight movies in a row, the Deathly Hollows Part 2, I thought was the best one just because of the, how it ended and all that. So we'll see how I think about that later. So that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Um, so moving on here. So I used to run a podcast called The Low Side Podcast. And one of my favorite aspects of it was I did something called the LSP, LFP, the low side podcast, local film plug. Um, basically I would have local filmmakers send me their movies and I wouldn't review them or anything like that, but I would, 
you know, give them a shout out, tell people where to watch them and what they were about and all this. So people knew where to find them. And that's something I want to continue doing here since this is the first episode and I didn't really tell anybody that I was doing this. You know, I'm going to plug one of my own films and I'm going to do that from time to time because this is my show. So I should be able to promote my own projects. So I'm going to do that here. But for future reference, um, you know, I'll take any sort of film. It can be, you know, a film, uh, like a short film, a feature film, web series, just a video, you know, YouTube channel. I don't really care. I'm here to promote friends and colleagues who have helped me over the years you know, as long as you're not doing anything too graphic or obscene or promoting hate speech or anything like that, I will plug your film. I can't promise that I'll watch it because I just, if I tend to get a lot of these and I just don't always have time with everything else going on in my life, I will try to, but I will at least tell people where to watch it, where to find it and who you are, because I'd like to try to give back to my filmmaking community. So if you want to submit your films, you can do so at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash shreddies take shout outs. So it's basically a, a Google form that you'll fill out with a bunch of details about the film yourself, etc. And then as soon as I can, I will plug it in the movie or in, on the show. You know, I might do a couple of them. I might do one per show. We'll see how this goes. We'll see where everything takes us from here. So the first film that I'm going to plug is my recent short film, Let Me Go. Let Me Go is a horror film about, it's a little under six minutes, and it's about a disturbed young man who is terrorized by a vicious shadow after attempting to take his own life. So this is actually based on a feature film that I had written. I started a project, or I started writing my second feature film back in... 2018, shortly after I made my short adopt, I started writing this feature film. Um, I actually wrote it as a short. It's not really the same short that I had written, but because, you know, things just changed um, over the, the time that I had been doing this. But um, I decided to take, I wanted to make a, a concept short film about what my feature would be. So, you know, I did this. Um, we, I just got together in a weekend with you know, people I've been collaborating with on a lot of my other projects. So we got together, just shot this, you know, five and a half minute movie. And this is what I have. Um, I think it's one of the best things that I've ever put out. Put out. Uh, I'm really proud of everybody who worked on it. I got to work with a lot of great people who I'd worked with before and also a lot of great people who worked with me the first time. So it was just a lot of fun putting it together overall. I'm hoping to make this into my next feature film. So, you know, if you want to see that happen, definitely share it. It's on YouTube right now. If you go to the AWS Films YouTube channel, you can find the movie there. I'll make sure I link this in the description of the podcast, or this will also be on YouTube. So you'll be able to find it there. Watch it, share it, you know, buy all my stuff too, you know, because if I'm making money, I'll be able to continue making these sort of projects if you like what I do and all that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that. So I guess I, this is the time for me to kind of take a break here and remind you to, you can buy, um, you know, any of my merchandise, you can donate to my channel or just, you know, my filmmaking in general at the AWS film store, www.awsfilms.com. You can find the store there. Or if you want to support Cashing Out, you can go to www.cashingoutfilm.com. You can also go to the store there as well. They're the same store, but, you know, I try to make it easy for you to find. So if you forget, you know, my overall company website, you can go to the Cashing Out website and you'll be able to find the store. I got a lot of, you know, T-shirts, posters, the uh, DVD and Blu-ray, digital copies of the film, you know, all that. I definitely appreciate any of the support that I can get because this is something I'm very passionate about and something that I want to continue providing. People seem to like all the stuff that I put out. So, you know, I'd like to be able to continue doing that. Um, if you don't have a lot of money, you know, but you still want to support, definitely watch the Let Me Go shorts. And you can also watch Cashing Out on Amazon Prime right now. So if you have a Prime subscription, it's free. 
or you can rent the film on Amazon Prime or my own uh, channel, my own online channel digitally, um, awsfilmstv.vhx.com. Um, it's only a couple bucks to rent, or like I said, you can just watch it on Prime for free if you already have it. I just ap appreciate any of the support that I can get, you know, and yeah. So let's get into the main topic of today's episode, which is how much money have I made making a feature film? Um, it's more like how much money have I made making a no budget feature film? I think, you know, that's really important to disclose. Um, so I wanted to talk about these a little bit and kind of just give you some insight on just the different avenues I've taken because I didn't go to find an, like a distributor. Um, I just found a lot of horror stories when I was doing research on it about people just not getting paid, just getting all these crappy deals and all this. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I am going to do this myself. Probably not the smartest idea, but I'm going to go do this myself and this movie is going to live and live, breathe, and die with me. So if this movie fails, it's going to be because of me, not because of some person who doesn't care about it. You know, they they just look at this as a product, which it is a product. I still look at this as a business. I want to make that very clear. But I wanted to, if this thing was, if I was going to have any sort of success with this, I wanted it to be because of what I did to get it out there in the world. So the biggest, I, I have eight different sources of revenue. Um, some of them are a little similar, some are a little different, but let, let's just go ahead and jump into it. So I have merchandise, so t-shirts, you know, hats, hoodies, posters, stuff like that. Um, we have DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, we had a small theatrical run. So, you know, box office sales. Um, we have a couple different digital platforms, so I'm gonna. These are a little bit separate, um, but I, I'm treating them a, a little bit different here. So the next three are all actually the next four are all digital, but they're all a little bit different. So we have digital from my own OTT channel, which is I, I don't know what OTT stands for, but basically it is, you know, like me being able to um, produce ha have a, a platform to do sales for digital content that I put out. So we have, uh, I did that with Vimeo. Um, we have Amazon rentals and purchases, Amazon prime. And then I have a couple other, um, platforms that I distributed the movie on and, uh, which the two big ones are Hoosier films and film hub and then donations. So those were all the biggest, um, methods that I did. So the movie has been out since February 24th, 2020, and it cost me around, I want to say it's, it's a little murky just because like, I just don't have an exact dollar amount, but it was somewhere between 15 and a half thousand to 16,000 to make the movie. Um, what that means exactly, you know, there, I can do an episode about this too, um, later on, but essentially the movie itself cost to produce, uh, just production was about 5,800 and then the rest went to post-production, but I can do a breakdown on that later just because, you know, it, I can tell you how to, where I could have cut things out and all that. I probably could have produced this movie for completely for about 10,000, but cashing out has always sort of been my figure it out film. So I tried to do everything right with this one. I wanted to do things by the rules, quote unquote. Um, you know, that that's a little murky, but I wanted to, you know, do try to do things right as much as possible. I didn't want to try to, I, you know, I knew I needed to cut some corners, but I didn't want to cut so many corners that I wouldn't know how to do things later, both from a legal standpoint, business and all that. I wanted to try to do this one right as much as possible. So that way, when I do the next one, I know which corners I could cut exactly and get away with it. So let's kind of break this down. I did around probably around 6,000 in sales. So that's not profit. That's just, you know, sales of the digital copies, merch, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's excluding how much it costs to create the stuff, you know, 
you know, whoever gets their cut as far as the platforms and all that, um, did about 6,000 in sales. So let's go ahead and do a breakdown of how much I made in profit, profit on each of these platforms. Okay, so with merchandise, the biggest place that I did my merch was with Printful. So like this shirt itself came from Printful, which is a print on demand platform. Basically what that means is when you make a sale is when they'll, they'll just make the shirts individually. So you don't have to buy a ton of them up front. I wanted to find with everything I did, I didn't want to spend a lot of money up front because A, I didn't want to have a bunch of leftover inventory, which that still ended up happening. But regardless, um, and B, I wanted a way just to not have to make the shirts and merchandise myself. So Printful was the easiest way to do that. Basically, you just make a design. So I made this design right here. Um, this is called the Cashing Out Poker Night shirt. So I did this. Um, this is the poster too. But I basically just made this in Photoshop and then uploaded the design to Printful. I did a couple different designs with that. I set up a store. I set up two different stores. So I did one through Big Cartel, um, which I was able to connect directly to Printful. Um, but I was limited to five items which when I initially did my launch of the merch, that was fine. It, it worked for what I needed it to because I didn't have to. It was streamlined a lot easier. But now I use Square, which unfortunately I have to do all my merch. I have to import all the orders um, individually now. Like I don't have anything streamlined with that. I don't have a ton of merch orders right now, so it's not a big deal. But with uh, Square, I was able. To, I'm able to put as much... Um, different merch items in there as I want. I can, you know, price things how I want. It's just, there's a lot of pros and cons between the two, um, definitely. But I just found there were a lot more pros using a Square website, which is through Weebly, actually. Um, but, you know, I've, I found that was the best way to kind of streamline everything. And, and the other th bad part about the biggest con with using something like Big Cartel is you can only, you don't have to only use a uh, a print-on-demand site, but it just costs money with anything over five products, and I just have a lot of stuff, and just with me doing the posters different from Printful um, compared to, and the Blu-rays and DVDs, I did those on my own. You know, it just, it just made a lot more sense to kind of just streamline everything. If you're only doing t-shirts and you only have like two designs, it might make more sense for you to use something like Big Cartel, but that's completely up to you. Um, it, Printful is a little expensive. That's the only downfall of it too. So you have to price all of your merch really high. So for me to make like, I don't know, five bucks a shirt or something like that, I'd have to charge 20 to $25 a shirt. So that's a pitfall of it. It is what it is. Um, but I also use discount mugs for, I also have just plain uh, cashing out just the words on there. Um, just printing something that's single color is a lot cheaper too. You can find more places that will do that. But for that style in particular, um, before I did the theatrical screenings, um, I got a bunch made for like 200 bucks. I think like 50 shirts made. And that caught, or that, that was a lot cheaper. I use discount mugs. I'm sorry. That's where I was going with this. I use discount mugs for that. I want to say it costs like somewhere between 200 and 250 for 50 shirts, which was a lot cheaper than I had ever gotten them. Um, but you're stuck with inventory if you do it that way. So I only recommend that if you absolutely need to do that. Um, another avenue that I haven't used yet is that I actually have a Cricut machine now, a Cricut cutter, so I can go out and buy vinyl and do the shirts that way. I haven't figured out how to do shirts like this yet cheaply. Um, so I'm hoping to do that in the future to hopefully cut some costs down. So if I can get... If I can get the products made a lot cheaper, then I can sell these items for a lot cheaper. Um, I'd like to do everything more in-house from now on, but at least for the time being with no startup costs, um, doing everything with Printful and all that was the cheapest avenue to do that. And I made somewhere between, I profited somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000. Um, I don't remember exactly, and the figures are a little murky just because my Record keeping wasn't so great in the beginning just because it was, I'm doing everything myself. So it's just hard to like just keep up with everything and working full time and all that. It just, you know, got really difficult. So 
I want to say I made somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 in sales. Um, most of that came from the beginning when I first launched uh, a bunch of merch. And then everything just kind of went dark for a while. And then I actually um, would do merch booths at each of the screenings for the, the cashing out screenings and theaters. And that's where I sold the most merch. So I, I know with the with everything that's going on in the world right now, it's a little bit, you know, doing theatrical screenings, not really the best, you know, the most lucrative way of doing things now. But, you know, if everything calms down and movie theaters really start coming back and you can rent out a theater, I definitely recommend having merch ready to go to sell after your screening if you are able to do that because I have found people if they really like your movie even if they spent movie or money on tickets they are very willing to help you out more and you know buy anything related to that so definitely something I would recommend doing blu-rays and dvds um, I sold about 50 copies of these um, so I made around somewhere around $750. I sold them for about $15 to $20 a piece. Um, it kind of varied depending on, you know, where I was selling them, but that's where I sold them. Um, these are actually very cheap to do if you if you buy a bunch um, ahead of time or you can do a more, there's a print on demand way of doing this too. But I wanted to do a Blu-ray and DVD combo just because I didn't want to have to buy a bunch of Blu-rays, like figure out how many Blu-rays and DVDs I should buy compared with the two. So I just did a Blu-ray and DVD combo. They cost me, I ended up getting the sleeves and the the uh, Blu-ray um, cases from a place called blankmediaprinting.com. Um, and it was about, and then I got the discs done at Kunaki, which that's the cheapest place to get both of those done. You can actually get shrink wrapped Blu-rays or DVDs, no Blu-ray DVD combos. That's the only reason why I didn't use them for everything. Um, I think Blu-rays you can get done for like $2 and DVDs you can get done for $1.10. So, you know, that's without shipping. That's just for the cost of the product. And then discs, I want to say like Blu-rays were like a dollar and DVDs were like 60 cents or something like that. So it was really cheap to get those done and you can buy as many or as little as you need. So that was really convenient. So I got a bunch of those done. Um, it cost me like four, it was like a little under $5 to do the Blu-ray and DVD combos. Um, and I sold those, like I said, for about 15 to $20, depending on where I sold them, it made around $750. Um, I would definitely recommend if you just do one or the other, um, the, the quality is really good with Kunaki. It's not perfect, but it's really good. And, uh, so if you could do Kunaki, just do one or the other, or just have a little bit of both, or just, you know, do like, you can do like what you did with Printful, just order them as you need them and just charge, you know, for shipping on them. You know, that, that would be the simplest way to do it. And you don't need any inventory up front. Um, I probably have like, 20 extra copies of the Blu-ray DVD combo right now that I haven't sold yet. I actually would have sold out and I wish I just wouldn't have bought more, but I was worried that I wasn't going to have enough because I actually, I did a Comic-Con event um, in the middle of February and I think I had like five left. I, I had bought like maybe 75 of them and then between selling them at my merch booths at the screenings and the Comic-Con event, I only had like five left before the movie even came out officially um, on home video. So I'm like, crap, you know, I'm probably going to need a few more, but I ended up not needing so many. It is what it is. If people want them or I can gift them if I really need to down the line, but you know, it's just one have there's, it's great because there's multiple ways that you can do it. Next is theatrical. So, uh, I had a deal with a, a theater chain, even though I kind of got screwed with them they went out of business. So I'll probably never see this box office revenue, but I had a deal and I made with the theaters and the cut I was making was a little over $1,900. Sold like, I want to say about 200, about 250 tickets total between like 35, 35 or 36 screenings. Uh, we played in 10 cities, but 30, I think we did like 36 total shows. 
um, between all the theaters. And I sold around 250 tickets. So not great, but, you know, it was definitely worth it if I would have ended up getting that money. But I probably won't see a dime from that. I think I've gotten like $26 out of the 1900 that I made. It is what it is. Well, I, I, they're going through a bunch of court stuff. I haven't heard from them in months, but, you know, that's where we're at right now with that. So then the next couple, they're kind of all, we can rope these in together. Um, so with all the digital platforms, um, I created my own OTT channel with Vimeo, as I mentioned. Um, so I could do my own um, digital copies and rentals. Um, I can control that completely on my own. Um, Vimeo is not completely unreasonable with their prices and it doesn't cost anything to start up. So that's why I win with them. So I haven't made much with that just because... I also did Amazon, so more people are familiar with Amazon, so therefore they're going to go with Amazon. Um, so I only made about 20 bucks with that avenue. Um, but, you know, it's on there forever, and if it ever comes off Amazon, I always have that as a backup to play my movie. So, you know, that's great too. Um, also with the DVDs and uh, Blu-rays, I forgot to mention, you can also do print-on-demand DVDs and Blu-rays with Amazon. Their cuts are atrocious, so I'm selling them for like $23 right now on Amazon, but I only make like $3.50 profit on those. That's my cut, so it's absolute trash what they charge to make this happen, but again, you know, Amazon is the necessary evil when it comes to small businesses that we need, so, you know, I've only sold like two copies, I think, on there, so it's not really a big deal. But that's just another avenue if you absolutely need it. I recommend just having it because it's one of those things that doesn't cost any money up front to do. And it's Amazon. So if, you know, you need a way just to get your movie out there, that's definitely an avenue to do it. Um, Amazon Digital. This was my biggest revenue source as far as the movie. So Amazon, you, you can put your movie on Amazon. Um, it's got to pass a bunch of, it has to pass a quality control test. So your movie, it can't like look or sound like crap. Otherwise, they're going to take it off. Luckily, uh, cashing out past the first quality test. So wasn't anything that I needed to worry about. But essentially, um, you set the price. If you just do rentals, this is just rentals and purchases. And you make 50% of what they make. Or you make 50% of the purchase price. So again, it's a trash rate. But... Again, Amazon, it's a necessary evil that we need. So I made profit-wise between rentals and purchases about $885. So times that by two, you know, somewhere around $1,700 for sales, um, but made about $886. Um, most of that was in one month. Um, March was a really good month for the movie. There's a point where I thought I was going to be making like a hundred bucks a day and I was super excited, but that only ended up lasting a weekend. It is what it is, but you know, it, it was nice to be able to have that revenue coming in. It felt good and it helped, you know, validate the movie a little bit. Next we have Amazon Prime. So after my rentals and purchase sales started to tank a little bit, I decided, you know, we'll put it on Amazon Prime their rates are really bad on that platform. I th I've heard of them only paying one cent per hour watched. So, you know, if you're watching Cashing Out, which is about two hours long, you watch the full movie, I would only get paid one or two cents for, you know, the two hours that were watched. But that's why I decided to wait. I put that out in August um, just because, like, pretty much the rentals and the purchases just completely dried up. So I'm like, okay, we'll go ahead and try this. It ended up not being a bad idea. I haven't made a ton of money, but it's doing a lot better than I thought it was going to do. So, you know, it's not like I'm getting like three cent checks anytime they send me money, but you know, it, it's just nice to have that extra revenue source. So to date, so from August up till the end of the year, um, as far as what I'm getting paid, um, they, they pay two months behind, I think. So I've made about $90 that way. Again, it's not great, but for something that I only get paid one cent an hour for, 
I mean, you can tell that it's been watched quite a bit if I made $90 over a three-month period. So, you know, take that information how you will. And then between the other two platforms that I'm on, I'm on Hoosier Films, which is an Indiana-based uh, distribution platform. Basically, it's like a Netflix, but for, you have to have your movie has to have been has to have been made in Indiana, or you have to be an Indiana filmmaker or some sort of Indiana ties. Um, I've only made like two or three eight purchases on there, so I've only made about fifteen bucks. And then I also use this platform called Film Hub to get the movie out worldwide and to different platforms, not just in the United States, just because when you're self-distributing, you have a, you're very limited on what options you can use as far as what countries you can put things in. Amazon is the biggest one. You know, it's great that they allow filmmakers like myself just to put the movies out there themselves instead of having to get a distributor. But for like Amazon Prime in other countries or, you know, just all these other big platforms, you have to have an aggregator or a distributor who will talk to these companies. So I decided to use Film Hub. I've only made about nine cents with them, so not great. But, you know, the movie is getting watched overseas, which I'm looking at that from more of a publicity standpoint more than anything else. So I think that's pretty cool. And then last, we have donations. Um, when I did the cashing out screenings, um, I took donations as well if people were willing to do that. Um, I only did it with my free screening. I did a free screening, like a friends and family screening, um, about six months before it came out into theaters. Um, didn't charge for it. So if people wanted to give me money just to be nice, I took that. Made about $300 that way. So, you know, it's just some extra money that I was able to bring in. Um, then I also mentioned that I did a Comic-Con event um, where I sold merch and all that. I definitely recommend doing that if you have the ability to. I just did a local Comic-Con. I didn't do any of the big ones. It only cost me like 90 bucks to do it. And I made that profit back within like an hour. So, you know, it wasn't, it definitely was worth it for sure. Um, I would definitely love to do it again. I probably will do it next year if, you know, we start to do events again, personal events. Um, but yeah, so in total profit wise, and there's going to be two numbers here. Um, I made around 5,000 to $5,500, but really I only made about 3,000 to $3,500 because I didn't make the money from the box office receipts. So technically on paper, I made this much money, but I haven't actually received all this money. So it, you look at that more from the sales perspective more than anything. Um, but yeah, so the reason why I wanted to talk about this is if you are thinking about making your own feature and you're looking at it from a business perspective, I kind of wanted to just throw it out there, how much money you can make. So that way you sort of know how much money is reasonable to spend. I could afford to spend the, you know, 16,000 that I did on cashing out. It wasn't 16,000 all at once. That was through stages. So, you know, like I would just pay for things as I needed them during production and I would pay for things as I needed them during post-production. So, you know, that 16,000, that's between, you know, production three years ago to now I've spent all that money. You know, it was in stages. It wasn't all at once. So when you're making your film, you know, just think like you can make money or you can at least break even if you keep all of your costs low. So just, you know, be thinking about those things consciously. If you look at somebody like me, who's a nobody and I'm able to pull out five grand or even just, you know, three grand, if we're not considering the box office receipts, if you make a movie for, you know, 1,000, 2,000, $3,000 and you make that 1,000, 2,000, $3,000 back, you know, you technically could be in the black really fast which is great. So those are, these are the sorts of things you should be thinking about if you want to make a no budget feature film. If you're thinking about, you know, spending 50 grand on a movie, you're probably not going to make that back. So I would only recommend doing that is if you've got that money to spend and you don't need it anywhere else in your life. So I would definitely like to do an episode kind of breaking down more of the budget things with cashing out and where I think I've could have cut costs and all that to kind of give you guys a better idea if you're thinking about making a full movie like I did. But yeah, I guess, you know, that's pretty much all I have to say for this episode. So that's episode one. 
I'd like to thank you all uh, who tuned into this episode. I definitely really appreciate that. Um, this is something I would like to continue doing. I thought about just doing YouTube videos, but I kind of wanted, I feel like the information that I have to express needs to be a little bit more unfiltered. And the best way to do that is with a podcast. So yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this, I guess, and just see where it goes. Um, currently I don't have any platforms set up, but you know, be sure to look in the, um, definitely on YouTube and the comments about what platforms this will be on. I'm definitely hoping to get this on Apple podcast or Spotify or, you know, any of the big, uh, podcasting platforms as far as audio goes. This definitely be on YouTube. I'll try to get this going up on Facebook possibly. Um, but you'll have some options, different ways to watch this for sure, or just listen to it. Be sure to pick up a copy of Cashing Out if you haven't already. You can watch the movie. You can also watch the movie on Amazon Prime. I also have plenty of merch like this super awesome t-shirt that you audience listeners won't be able to see. But if you're watching this on the video, you know, check this out or just take my word for it that it's pretty awesome. But you can get more merch like this or goodies like that um, for my store. You can either go to awsfilms.com or cashingoutfilm.com. There's a store link on both the websites. Like I said, it's the same store. So, you know, it's just going to link to the same thing. I got a lot of different stuff on there. If you'd like to support me, the show, the channel, I definitely appreciate all the help I can get. Also, be sure you follow me on my social media platforms on Instagram and Twitter at Real Slim Shreddy. R-E-E-L-S-L-I-M-S-R-E-D-Y. Yep, I know that's a play on words. I thought it was really awesome, so I'm still rolling with it. Thank you again for watching or listening. This has been an original AWS Films production, www.awsfilms.com. And I will see you on the next one. Later.